Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Edward Bergen here, um, Global Food and Drink Analyst at Mintel and host of today's pod. We wanted to start today's episode with a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, we recorded this a few weeks ago and a lot's changed since then. Uh, the world today looks a little bit different than it uh, has done for the last few weeks and months and uh, tomorrow it's probably going to look different still um, given this evolving situation uh, with the global spread of COVID-19. Markets are in flux, consumers are forced to make new and very different decisions about their personal and professional lives and brands are trying to adjust their strategy really quickly to strike a balance between short and long-term planning. At Mintel though, uh, our analysts are really hard at work delivering research, insights, recommendations, podcasts, to, to companies and brands to help them make sense of it all. And um, actually, we think that's for another day. And today, we want to put the COVID-19 discussion aside just for a little bit to chat about something lighter. And we're going to be talking about diets and the science behind uh, the popular diets, maybe some of the fads that are out there. So if you're taking a break, join us and we can get back to the pandemic uh, later on. But I wanted to really ask you about whether you look through social media for advice about shedding a little weight or becoming a little bit healthier. And um, to answer some of those questions about some of those fad diets or real healthy diets, we've got Rick Miller, who's our in-house nutritionist on this podcast. Um, So with all that in mind, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. I'm Edward Bergen, global food and drink analyst, all round foodie, and I'm a massive hummus fanatic. So I'm going to start this pod with a question. How often do you guys listening scroll through your social media for advice and inspiration on how to shed a little weight, shed a few pounds or just just get a little bit healthier? Do you question the diets that you discover or do you just call them hogwash? This pod will help to answer some of those questions. Welcome to our Health Mythbusters podcast. Usually we have an array of guests, but this time I'm joined by one super guest. I'll let him explain why he is best placed to decide whether a new diet is a fad or is it fabulous? Rick, you're on. Thanks very much, Ed. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, yep. So I'm the uh, Associate Director for Specialised Nutrition at Mintel. Uh, I'm also a registered dietitian by uh, in career background. Uh, I spent you know around 15 years working in uh, nutrition, uh, either from sports performance to working in hospitals as a clinical dietitian and seeing everybody from very sick patients to high performance athletes and everybody in between. Um, I've also spent a, a large amount of time working in the, the food industry, um, within the supplemental uh, diets industry, and also in specialised nutrition, uh, supporting companies with medical liaison, helping them to get scientific communication right, or helping with even new product development as well. And uh, Mintel is the, uh, the ultimate conclusion to my career journey. Okay, so <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. That's obviously. Um, <laughs> I, so I think you're best placed for this one, because we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, What I've done before this podcast is I've actually collected together a series of tweets that people have posted on social media about some of these, I don't know, you could call them faddy, you could call them trendy, you could call them genuine diets, but we want you to tell us you know, whether they're, they are good or bad or, you know, somewhere in between. Yeah, somewhere <laughs> in between. So, so. Um, 
And I think the big question is, yeah, are they fans or are they fabulous? So I've, I've, I'm going to read the tweets out to you and, uh, and then I want you to, for each one, please help us understand it a little bit more because, you know, my, my knowledge is, you know, I, I probably a lot, a bit of meat, a bit of veg, quite a lot of veg and, um, have quite a lot of cuisine food, but whether I follow diets, probably not. Um, I'm probably quite lazy when it comes to diets. I just enjoy trying everything. Um, so I'm want to learn a little bit more on this pod. So we're going to start with the first tweet that I've got and, uh, it goes a bit like this. So it's, they, they, they tweeted, I've switched to a mostly keto diet, 60% meat and fat, 30% desserts, 10% miscellaneous hashtag keto. <laughs> okay. What is this keto? Well, um, okay. So it, it's quite an interesting one that you start off with. Um, the ketogenic diet is actually um, a medical diet. Um, it's, it's called um, a ketogenic diet because the aim of the diet is to put the person, the patient, whoever it is who's doing it, into a state called nutritional ketosis. Now, what the heck is ketosis? Basically, it's when your body switches to using fats for fuel. And when the fats break down um, in the body through digestion, they turn some of the byproducts are something called ketone bodies. And ketones are effectively a source of fuel for vital organs, so things like the brain, etc., and other tissues, um, to make sure that you can still survive um, when you haven't got anything else to eat. So it's almost like a state of starvation, and that's the purpose of it, is that if you didn't have any food, you'd make ketones from your own body fat stores, and that keeps you going. Now, the reason that a ketogenic diet is sometimes used um, in medical situations is for the treatment of something called epilepsy, which some of you listening right, okay. may have heard of. Um, there is some very good evidence that it can help treat seizures, and that's what its purpose is for. Um, now, what you're you're uh, showing me with this this tweet actually is is the more kind of kind of consumer uh, take on it, which is for weight loss. Um, now, nutritional ketosis. Um, is obviously something that is used for, as I've said, for treatment of epilepsy. But in terms of actually helping you to lose weight, there's very little evidence that it actually does anything, to be honest. Um, so, you know, when, when I hear and I, I read something like that, you know, it, it's really interesting because they're not actually following a ketogenic diet. If they were following a real ketogenic diet, it's more like 80% fat, you know, 10% protein and, and basically no carbohydrate it's, at all. It's interesting because mostly when you see sort of social media, it's all about, I eat loads of cheese and I can have all the fatty <laughs> foods I want, but I won't eat carbs. And that's kind of what you often see yeah. from social media. Totally, yeah. And it's, and it's kind of like a, a sort of, I suppose, a, a colloquial spin on um on, on a on a an established dietary approach that we use in medicine um so the i suppose the next extension of that question is you know does it actually work at all does it do anything at all and uh, i suppose the key to it is that mostly people think when they think high fat they think high calorie and they think oh my goodness how can that possibly work how yeah, can it possibly because it's, it's too full of fat well you're gonna yeah. you know you know that if you have people say pizza loads of pizza it's not it's not great for your health if you have it too much. Yes, of no. course, it's on carbs, but the cheese ain't good to either. Too much of it. Yes. So how does this work? Totally. I mean, and, and, and from a kind of, I suppose, a, a dietary point of view, fats have double the amount of calories in them than carbohydrates and protein, um, which are the other sort of main macronutrients in the diet. And uh, so, yeah, so you'd think, well, how can you possibly lose weight on it? Well, one of the one of the kind of side effects from, from being in a state of ketosis is that 
for some people it can actually cause what we call satiation so basically it kind of dumbs down the hunger level so people don't feel as hungry what fatty foods keep you fuller for longer effectively right. in some people not everybody okay so it is totally possible to to gain weight on a ketogenic diet and i have in my experience seen many people come to me um, as a patient and they've said hey i followed this keto diet and i gained 10 pounds you know and it's it's totally possible um just like with any diet but some people it does cause them to be more satiated and so naturally they eat less and so it the ketogenic diet doesn't kind of um, destroy the rules of physics. You still need to eat less than you you consume overall in order to lose weight. Mm. Calories still count. Um, but for some people, it might actually help them. One of the things I read a lot about the keto diet is if con- a lot of the consumers, they don't just follow the diet. They also do a lot of exercise with it because right. they're saying that fats, am I right? Fats burn quicker than carbs it's actually the other way around interestingly because okay. that's what i always thought was as, as a myth is it is it and so therefore that's one of my myths that yeah. i always thought they eat too much carbs it's very hard to burn them if you just eat fatty foods like the what was the diet called originally the atkins yeah it was all about having yes. a lot of high fat low and carb proteins yeah high protein diet yeah and i think what what that might be ed is that uh an extension of a, of the keto diet is that obviously you the, the kind of, again, the consumer spin on it is that you're in a fat burning state, i.e. you've switched to burning fats for fuel. So effectively, the, the extension of that is, oh, if I do exercise in this state, I'm going to burn more fat when I'm doing that. Well, actually, <laughs> when you do exercise, depending on the type of exercise that you do, you tend, your body tends to uh, burn fuels in a sort of rank order. So basically, inside your muscle tissue, when you start to do your running or your jogging or your hip class or whatever it is you're doing, um, you'll burn the stored sugars in your body first, which are called glycogen. And, okay. and, and that's because your muscles work best um, with that source of fuel. Glucose, sugars, they burn down quickly and your muscle can use them for fuel. So your body will use those first. After quite some period of time, or if you've completely run out of, of these stored sugars, then you would start to burn fat. But the truth is, is that most people are not doing exercise for that sort of period of time. And, it, and in the sort of balance of everyday life, it doesn't really matter. Um, so what actually does matter is that you follow the diet consistently and then you do some exercise that doesn't cause you any damage or injuries later on. So mm. yeah, I think to bring it all kind of full circle, I think mostly fad from a consumer Most, point of view. Mostly fad, but mostly some fad. consumers, but it's yeah. very personalised. So the totally. idea is that you'd want to go and be, what, checked out? You'd want to check your totally. bloods. We're seeing they yeah. now can have their bloods checked. They can understand their own personal body. Yes. Do that first. Mm, I would say absolutely, especially if you've got a, a history of, of cardiovascular disease in the, in the family where maybe cholesterol levels have been a bit raised or some of the, mm. the different, what we call lipids, so I, the types of fats that are floating around in the blood have not been so so great in terms of your family history, you definitely want to be speaking to a doctor before you start doing this, um, or at least checking it and speaking to a dietitian or a registered nutritionist beforehand. Brilliant. So we've got from Rick, more fad than fabulous for I'd this one. More, from, more fad than fabulous. Okay, so number two, we're going to move on to another trend. And I like this one because this one's been, I, I think in terms of social media hype, what I love about it is that it's always, it's often linked to flavour. Mm. The one we're coming on to next. So like great flavoured products that you normally get with this one. So the tweet is this, and then I think you'll understand the topic. So the tweet goes like this. It's lemon water kefir, smiley face emoji, uh, just a candidate. And it is already active. Hashtag kefir, hashtag gut health, hashtag 
probiotics. I think you know what we're talking about. Yeah, totally. Oh my goodness. Um, so I, I guess we're talking about gut health here, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah, you can't get away from it. I mean, gut health is definitely trendy. Uh, it is. I mean, it's one of my uh, real interest areas is what would be called gastroenterology. So basically the study of the of the human gut and the treatment of gut related problems. Um, but I think what's what's really interesting is that is that sort of fermented products like things like kefir, kombucha, you mm. know, kimchi and all these other sort of traditional uh, sort of fermented foods. You know, th- there is really very limited uh, sort of human or clinical evidence that shows that that these fermented products really have a massively beneficial effect on the gut long term. We don't know what the dose would be we don't know how many you have to eat all we know is that you know people eat them and they sort of say well i i feel a little bit better and i feel a bit less bloated or i, I tend to feel that my gut is a bit happier really um and i suppose the the again the natural extension of that is you know is, is as you said the hashtag probiotics hmm. you know most people are horrendously confused when it comes to probiotics and what they actually what, what are. is it sure uh, let me let me explain so so basically probiotics are effectively any type of microorganism so it could be a bacteria it could be a yeast it could be a a fungus or something like that Mm -hmm. that lives in an organism's gut or indeed other other systems of the body which we don't have to get into now because we're talking about the gut um and they have some sort of what we call commensal or beneficial effect to the organism so probiotics aren't unique to human beings obviously you find them in obviously it's food for the bacteria no it's actually probiotics are actually the live bacteria themselves is it prebiotics that's the food that's right i've got it so prebiotics are the kind of short chain sugars or fibers or whatever it is that the bacteria or the microorganisms are feeding off those are called prebiotics and then you actually get something called postbiotics which are basically dead bacteria Mm. but they still have um, they still have a sort of i suppose a, a beneficial effect to the body so they still have an effect on you so you've got the whole kind of life cycle of, of the bacteria in there and the you know there is some some definitely some mounting evidence i mean there's a lot of interest in this area of you know the the microbiota and the microbiome um you know what does that all mean really well First of all, um, there is a relationship between the, the bacteria that live in our gut, and, and interestingly, there are more bacteria in our in our gut than there are cells in your human body. So we're talking trillions here, you know, not just a few thousand. It's literally you're more bacteria than you are human, effectively, and. Would there have been links between certain gastric conditions, you know, things like bloating or maybe irritable bowel syndrome or even very bad chronic uh, infl- inflammatory bowel disorders like ulcerative colitis mm. and and and, inter- and the types of bacteria that are in the gut. But the truth is that we just don't know what a healthy gut looks like in terms of bacteria diversity. All we know is that um, a diverse diet full of lots of different fibers you know so lots of different fruits lots of different vegetables which is what these good bacteria feed off seems to be associated with better outcomes in terms of stool consistency i.e the types of poo that you have sadly it comes down Mm. to that um how people feel symptoms um and but there's no guarantee really that you know you take a um, a probiotic and you're going to have um perfect so so basically it's all it's all about balance again so (laughs) so actually you're you're saying that it's fine to have these products have your coffee have your kombucha but have it as a um, as a part of a, a full and varied diet, absolutely, and it, and it might have some beneficial effects because you're probably giving your body a variety of what nutritious um, foods, um, uh, more nutrition because you're having. You just don't just focus just on this one issue. Effectively, yeah. 
and my my probably hopefully making sense. You're absolutely making sense. <laughs> I think the biggest mistake I see in this area when it comes to gut health, much like many other areas, I suppose, of diet and nutrition, is people tend to be very inconsistent about it. The gut is particularly, I would say, one organ that that's very very good with consistency. That includes how often you eat when you eat and the types of foods that you eat you know your body again gets kind of accustomed to that and the bacteria are the same it's a bit like growing a garden you know you can't water it every once in a while and hope that it will spring mm. into the chelsea flower show it's going to be uh, you've got to be consistent about it and diligent and that's the same with with your gut health so if you're going to take a probiotic you want to take a one that's got you know a decent number of bacteria and we're talking billions here you know maybe not just so a then few. not the product like a fear at all have a supplement no i it, it, i would say if you've got um, you're worried about gut health and you want to and you want to take it in the medical evidence, we do suggest that if you've got some sort of gut-related disorder or you've got a history of um, diarrhea or something like that, then take a concentrated probiotic for up to four weeks at least right. um, and see how your symptoms go. Um, that's in that's in the guidelines. Um, but, you know, taking a bit of kefir every now and then is probably not going to make a massive difference unless it's part of your diet well, all the time. What about the... There are obviously many of the products that have been around for a while yeah. um, that are like the yoghurt drinks we do mm. breakfast time, the little, mm. little mm. shots that people buy and they're, they're well-loved. Mm. And what... The, what and um, when we look at consumer data and uh, about who drinks them, often it's an older mm. consumer mm. over forties that have these little drinks, mm. and often they come with these, di you know, digestion claims and so on. So because they're to be had every day, does that? sort of fit what you would recommend as yes. a good diet yes exactly okay. and i would say yeah if you're going to invest in something like that then it definitely needs to be part of your everyday routine you know i definitely have my you know like you said my yogurt drink um every day or i take my probiotic you know mm. or whatever it is um but it can't be just kind of this kind of sporadic um you know i'm gonna have a bit of kefir today and a bit of kombucha tomorrow and then maybe i'll have a probiotic every now and then that's that's kind of it's, the one way to approach it consistent being definitely. consistent Absolutely. brilliant okay so we're going to go on to topic number three, and then we've got some quick fire rounds. Of course. Um, but I think topic number three is going to be one which um, I find quite interesting, actually. So I'll read that again. I'll read the uh, the tweet over, uh, you know, to you. Um, this tweet is not one based in the United Kingdom. Um, I'm pretty sure they're American. Uh, so I'm not going to do it in an accent. I'm sorry, everyone, because I know we have some American listeners, but um, I'm going to stick with my accent. But it starts with, y'all, hashtag intermittent fasting. I call it being too lazy to cook anything for breakfast, and I mastered it years ago. <laughs> so that's our that's our tweet. I think it's from an American tweeter. Uh, yeah, um, but um, I love it. It's a brilliant, brilliant one. That's that's fantastic. Um, yes, intermittent fasting. Well, it is very trendy. Let's let's be honest. Um, but in terms of human history, it's definitely not. I mean, fasting or basically going periods of time without food has been practiced for millennia. So people either doing it for religious reasons or doing it for other reasons, um, but this, the restriction of food is, is is not is not a weird thing for for people to do. I mean, think of maybe for those of you who've been to hospital, you might have had to fast before surgery or fast before a blood test. So medical or diagnostic investigations often involve restricting food, mm. and there are very good reasons for that. Um, but often the, the, the big question that I get asked is, you know, is there, a, is there a magic period of time that I need to do to get the benefits of intermittent fasting? Well, 
in in all honesty, the sort of minimum time between between a meal is a, probably I would say to be in what's called the post-absorptive state, i.e., basically your body has absorbed some of the nutrients from the food and it started to to go into a state of fasting. It's about three hours. It's not actually that long, really. It's as short as that. It's as short as Which that. Which is just a normal meal. Yeah. It's just a normal meal. So that's technically your fasting, basically, okay. between a meal. But what people are really getting at is, you know, this kind of what we call, you know, sort of time-restricted feeding or this the, the kind of, you know, eight hours or 12 hours or 15 hours or 16, eight, I think is the popular one, right. where you go 16 hours without, without any food and then you eat all your food within a very short window basically so for instance you might stop eating at 8 p.m at night you don't eat until about 1 p.m the next day so you skip breakfast have a have lunch have tea and have dinner the next day exactly and then you're back into fasting again exactly and you're back to the kind of no no eating again um and that's very popular and and there is there has been some some clinical studies that have been done you know with with different sets of people and i would say that um from my perspective again there's nothing magical about what's going on with the fasting. I mean, all sorts of health um, attributes have been uh, aligned with it, you know, everything from longevity, life extension, you know, improving skin, anti-aging, all sorts of different things. But again, the the evidence for that is is incredibly limited. We do know that when you restrict food, um, again, you get this, you go into this kind of slightly ketosis-like state, like we talked about before, and that may have some effects on cognitive function. It may have some protective effects on the cells. And also, when you're not eating, effectively, your cells go through a sort of self uh, sort of self cannibalism effectively you kind of clear out all the junk that's in there and it's called it's a process called apoptosis which don't have to get into but yeah <laughs> we always have so many we, all, on this podcast. we have so many weird <laughs> terms in, in medicine but let's just keep it simple so right. you're recycling cells getting rid of the junk and basically fresh freshly freshly reinstalled all the things that you need and your body needs to do that and it's thought that that's that contributes to the aging process if you don't have periods of time i.e without eating effectively so this kind of snackathon that sometimes people go through during the day one mini meal after another is probably not good for you long term so and um, so it's really interesting there is no magic in it it's basically again if you're doing it for weight loss you're just you're just restricting calories again and if you're if you're forcing all that food into a small window of like you know eight hours between Mm. you know 1 p.m you know and maybe 7 p.m or 8 p.m at night and then basically what you're doing is you're not giving yourself much time to feel hungry between meals effectively and so some people find that easier to stick to it's about consistency again so they pick up naturally because they're having three meals in seven or eight hours they have smaller meals because they're just (laughs) they've eaten too much much for the first one probably hungry at one and then they they, 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 yeah. they then, so big meal, smaller meal, yes. then smaller meal again for dinner. Right. Exactly. Um, it's really interesting. So I'm a I'm a three meal a day mm. kind of guy. Much like me. Um, I I love a proper breakfast. Big fan of a proper breakfast. Um, and there's been a lot of history around uh, you know start the day right. You know, every cereal brand markets themselves about you know starting the day yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, how does this then fit into the intermittent fasting? Are you meant to have your cereal at one? Or what's the? <laughs> well, this is again. There's kind of there's no rhyme or reason around it. And again, uh, from a kind of dietetic perspective, um, I always look at the kind of the whole picture. So it's not about you know always specifying exactly what you eat for breakfast and what you eat for lunch and what you eat for dinner it's the kind of the whole balance mm. so you know some people eat you know certain meals for their first meal a day and some people eat different ones for their le- next meals a day and so on and, and so i look at the whole balance and i think well if they're getting everything they need within that window then that's good now 
the the only caveat to this is there are obviously specific and you know populations of people that I would say this probably isn't suitable for for uh, at all, and that would be one would be children for certain. Um, there is good evidence that suggests that children who eat breakfast tend to do better academically, and we think that might be to do with with the effect that eating food in the morning has on blood flow to the brain. Um, an interest creativity and brain function. Creativity, exactly. So right. there are certain tasks that tend to do better when you are fueled. I effectively, you've got food in the body and you've, your blood sugars have gone up a little bit and you, so your brain just tends to work a little bit better. We, we don't know the exact reasons for that, but it might be centered around blood flow. So children, absolutely, 100%, get them into good habits, eat breakfast. Pregnant women, obviously, definitely need to be eating regularly. Going periods of time without food is not a good idea. And obviously people with diabetes or any sort mm. of other blood sugar imbalance you want to be careful with with just you know not going without food but other people you know there's some flexibility there and if you're otherwise healthy then something to discuss with your doctor or you know get personalized advice and it might be something to try um you know there are there are i would say some some possibly some benefits to people you know not snacking all the time um because again one of the things that I do commonly see as a dietitian is people can become quite emotionally attached to food and they use food sometimes in, a, I suppose, in an inappropriate manner. And they mood use food. Mood. Yeah, I would say rather than, <laughs> yeah, mood food, uh, not from a functional perspective, more from a kind from a, of... I need it to make me better. Yeah, comfort, feel better. comfort perspective. Yeah. yeah. And, the, you know, there's a time and a place for that, I guess. But when people are using it a lot and it's, uh, and it's and you know, you're using that as your main way to kind of deal with mm. emotions... I think that something like intermittent fasting might have some benefits for those individuals. So it detaches them from... Oh, because it gives them structure, potentially. Yeah, it gives them structure. Forced structure almost, that they yeah. know that they're not eating at those, they're between those other hours. and it's Exactly. People often, you know, people eat for lots of different reasons and appetite and, and the reasons people eat is a very complex area of, of medicine, I would say. And it's not that well understood, really, because mm. it kind of embraces psychology and physiology. But one thing that people do often report to me a lot is that they, they eat through boredom, effectively, because they haven't got anything to do so they immediately use distraction techniques like eating you know just to just to take away the boredom and i think that's not a good way to to kind of uh, use food you should eat food because you know it's time to eat or it's because you want to eat and because you need to eat um and so intermittent fasting may have some benefits for that for those people just linked to this one and you've mentioned it a couple of times but i just want to hear a line about it um i've said i'm a three meal a day ma'am you've already you've also commented on people that have these have small meals mm. but a lot through mm. the day mm. and they say that that's actually better for them to curb hunger and to stop them binging mm. and having now to a bit of fasting aside is there a better way to eat having is it three meals or is it th three meals with no snacking so obviously mm. people know they don't mm. eat between or is it is it probably the miniature meals because that's that's one of the ones that's very heavily marketed yes, yes. i think i think it, it, it really is so personal it's, right. it's very interesting I, I wish i could put my uh, i wish i could put my finger on one method that would work for everybody and it really doesn't i mean over the years i've seen things that work for lots of different people um you know for instance um if i was speaking to somebody quite elderly and they were struggling to eat absolutely little and often would work mm. for them but for maybe somebody who's you know got a few pounds to lose you know and, and they and they're trying to improve their diet three meals a day might be better because again you're going for longer without food and so your body's sort of tapping into those body fat stores which is Helping better down. Um, but I think really it's, it is around balance the whole day's worth of food and finding something that kind of fits for you and, and your lifestyle and your working patterns again going back to consistency that's the biggest thing that I see with anybody who kind of mm. adopts this kind of dieting mindset they're not very they're not very consistent about it and so always ask yourself the question can I do this for the rest of my life? And if you can't, then really you need to sort of rethink that maybe and then go back a couple of steps. So this one, 
probably more fabulous than fat. It's on that uh, side. Maybe yeah. not fully, but but yeah. it needs to still be personalised. But actually, this one you're yeah. you're quite on. You know, part you're happy with. I'm 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 more happy with because again, it's it's a very normal procedure from from a medical perspective for people to not eat. You know, we right. do it all the time, and so we, we we understand what happens to people when they don't eat, and we're very comfortable with that, and so we don't panic so much. And also, the thing I like about it is there's no kind of special diet, there's no special food. It's still about just having balance, <laughs> having normal, but just yeah. just have a nice gap between your meals. Yeah, you're just having a nice gap, and then you're having you know you're just finding a pattern that works for you, and that and that I really like. I really like. Unless I was sick. But one thing I like about this one is that we, we've um, we, we already have data saying that consumers um, are eating more and more alone. Um, mm. And look, breakfast is one of those meals that chances are it's okay to eat by yourself. You normally have it quite quickly. You're normally you know on your way to work or you've t- dropped the kids off. You have some breakfast. Missing breakfast, whether it's as much of a tragedy, but you're still saying to consumers that you're still having lunch with others, yeah, you're still yeah. having dinner with others, and you're having a normal meal. So mm. it doesn't have that maybe impact that maybe the keto diet. Yes. Um, might have on your family because you're having different food to them. Yes, quite, and that's and that's a very important thing to think about for those who are listening who've got families. Is you know these things are picked up by you know by children. They do they do they are like little sponges. They they observe what you know um, their parents do and they they adopt those eating habits. Yeah. And I know and I consult you know with with children quite a lot, and you know that is something that's that's often. Uh, that's often reported, you know, is that, you know, they've done X, Y, and Z. And, and, you know, when you probe a little deeper, it's because maybe their parents have been doing it. Maybe their parents have been doing it. And so that's something to consider, um, you know, how is this going to also impact my family life, etc. Okay, we're going to do some quick fire rounds. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking so, forward to So we've got three quick fire rounds, and then we're going to do some, some final... Um, I think a bit of fun, some diets that, okay. but one that I spotted, one that you spotted yeah. that um, might bring a bit of joy to our listeners. But we're going to start with the quick fair round. Um, so, matcha tea, fab, fad or fabulous? Oh my goodness. Um, well, it tastes pretty good, um, but, but definitely not a health panacea. So I'm going to say it's more fad than fabulous. Okay. Uh Five portions of fruit and veg. I would say at, le- at least, at least. Do you say what? How many more should you be having? Oh my goodness! I mean, we've we've had good research that you know that up to ten a day is more like is more like um, the amount that we should be consuming. So kind of a, you know, it's almost like a more is better approach for most people. People grossly underconsume on on fruit and veg mostly. Okay, chia seeds. Fad or fabulous? <laughs> this is oh. a surprise one. I oh, did yeah. not give you a warning. Yeah, the, per- yeah the, 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 the Peruvian, the Peruvian magic seed. Um, I would say, um, my goodness, for the for the amount that you would need to eat uh, to get any health benefits, probably you know it's probably more fad than fabulous. Sadly. Okay, so those are our quick fire ones, and then we've got some final fun. Okay. Um, I'm going to do mine first because I know you've got one too, but I'm going to do my one first. So I, I found on social media, um, there was a, a diet called the werewolf diet. Oh my goodness. And if you know what's, what's coming right now. So the idea is that when it's the full moon, you, you have juice, just juice for 24 hours. Right. Okay. Um, and during the changes of the moon throughout the month, so on those two or three days when the moon changes, you do that some some intermittent fasting. You don't do any eating um, after six pm just during those moon phases. But the rest of the month is 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 all to play for. My goodness. 
This is just bonkers, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> now, break it down for me. <laughs> I, Firstly, juice for 24 hours? Uh, well, you're, bas- you're basically fasting, right? The, the, the issue you do have with, with juice, juice fasting is that obviously it, it, you know, it lacks you know, a lot of the other nutrients that you need to have a healthy body. So yeah. proteins, you know, some all those essential fats um, as well. It's, it's literally as it sounds. It's just, you know, juiced fruit or, and or vegetables as well. Um, so it's not particularly great, but you know, if it's just 24 hours, you know, maybe it's going to be okay. And then intermittent fasting is two days and then a week later, two it's days, just, and a week later, two days. Yeah, I just I just think it's just a little bit random. It's, it's you know, maybe one for Halloween, you know, to like <laughs> make everybody have a bit of a giggle. But Let's yeah, see the werewolves die this Halloween. Yeah, it's just, it's just to me, it sounds like, you know, totally inconsistent and probably not likely to produce good results. Okay. Okay. So you've got one. I've got one for you, Ed. Um, so... Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, you know, uh, actress and, and obviously um, owner of Goop, um, also um, also put out that she she likes to uh, to have alkaline water, um, which for for those of you who, who've forgotten their chemistry is any is, is anything that's that's again a, a pH or acidity base balance of about eight or nine effectively. Okay. So it's pretty water so, seven, right? Uh, yeah, around six point five seven, absolutely. Okay. And and the human body is around sort of you know pH of about seven, something like seven point four. So yeah, we are slightly alkaline. But she believes she believes that she that you should have alkaline water, the squeeze of lemon in it as well. Is it lemon acidic? Yeah. <laughs> I think she should reread her chemistry textbook. Um, so she takes, if when you take this flow alkaline water and you add lemon to it, obviously you make it now like tap water, effectively. So it's just a complete waste of time. She might as well have just. So she's drinking water. That's she's good. Basically, yeah, hydrating herself, but <laughs> but absolutely no additional benefits from okay, it. Okay, sorry, Gwyneth Paltrow, if you're listening. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Fad or fabulous? Total fad. Total fad. <laughs> okay, look, this is our first Mythbusters. We've not done one of these before. It's a little bit different from the pods we've done in the past, but I just want to say thank you. This has been oh, so been interesting. No, thank um, you. I think we're going to have Rick back on. Maybe we're going to pick out a few more interesting diets later on, um, you know, down the line in some of the podcasts in our in our second series of Mintel's Little Conversation. Um, if you guys have any diets that you think uh, you've seen a lot on social media or you've seen consumer data about and you want Rick to, to go through them like with like this on a pod, just send them in. Um, drop us on, on Instagram or Facebook or something or email um, over to, to um, you know, someone at Mintel um, and we'll, we'll pop them on for you um guys thank you for listening uh, so just subscribe you know rate reviewers please put a five star review if you think it's five stars obviously hopefully you do um you can get them from all the platforms so we've got them on apple and uh, soundcloud and, and spotify and so on um otherwise uh, you know head over to our website mintel.com find us on the social media and thank you very much rick thank you very much ed and have a good one guys <laughs> <laughs>